and then I'm going to do a super quick review of what we've already covered, and then we'll get into the new material and do what we can to finish this message tonight. Nehemiah 1.4, it came to pass when I heard these words, the, what words were these? The words uh, basically understanding the condition of uh, Jerusalem and the walls there. And uh, verse 3 tells us what the condition is, the great affliction reproach, the wall of Jerusalem broken down, gates are burned with fire. It was just in shambles. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Uh, And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant, mercy for them that love him, observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I, my father's house, have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. And now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Uh, let me just kind of go ahead and go through a quick review here. Um, of course, uh, this is kind of based loosely off of Second Chronicles 7.14, which says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land, and of course, that's what they needed at that day. They needed God to heal their land. They needed God to forgive their sin, and they needed God to hear from heaven. Uh, that doesn't happen. And uh, of course, by the way, as we look at America, we need those same things. Uh, we need God to hear from us. We need Him to hear from um, heaven, and we need Him to forgive our sin, and we need Him to heal our land. That's only going to happen is. If, our, if my people, again, it's not the White House, it's the church house uh, that this is um, uh, addressed to. And uh, James also says judgment must begin not at the White House, but at the house of God. And so that's, that's you and me, all right? If my people, that's, that's me, that's you, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then he promises to... Uh, hear, forgive, and heal. Now, we see this played out in the book of Nehemiah in, in vivid detail, and uh, it's, it's, it's neat to see how it is played out because uh, we like to hear about how the wall was built. But the wall didn't, wasn't built until chapter 1 takes place. And chapter 1 was Nehemiah getting on his knees and praying to the Lord. So, first of all, we, we mentioned, number one, and I know it's already filled out in your outline there, but reflect on your situation. Uh, take some time to consider what's going on. And uh, we mentioned in this, God did not create us to be ostriches. 
God created ostriches to be ostriches, but not you and me as believers to keep our head in the sand and uh, not be aware of what's going on around us. Uh, he does want us to have an understanding heart of what's going on. Uh, the children of Issachar, Issachar they, uh, they had understanding of the times. They knew what was going on around them so that they were now knowing what they needed to do. Uh, and Nehemiah was willing to take the time to reflect on the situation that uh, he was in. And it bothered Nehemiah, uh, and it bothered him enough to uh, pray, to weep, and to fast, and to mourn. And so uh, we took some time to talk about reflecting on our situation and having an understanding heart of where we're at as a nation, where we're at spiritually and individually, where we're at in our family life, uh, taking some time to reflect and take an assessment. Um, I'm One of my least favorite days at uh, AT&T Staples when I worked at both of those places was inventory day, uh, going through and we had to... When, I, when we were worked at AT&T, I had to scan all the accessories in the entire store, and it took some time. So my shift started at 6 or 8, 8.30. Well, I had to get there at 6 in order to get all those things uh, scanned in, and uh, it was a pain. It was, it was rough, and then once we do all that, then we have to we get the list of all the things we're missing, and we have to go and count them again uh, by, by hand. It was... But it's necessary for a business, okay, uh, for those who are in businesses, and uh, Brother Brent, that's basically what he, he, he's kind of trying to save his company uh, money and, and, and finding inventory and all that. Well, that, that's assessing where you're at, and that's necessary for business, but it's also necessary for us spiritually. It's also necessary for us as a family and uh and as a nation as well. Okay, so uh, Nehemiah took time to reflect on his situation. But then, number two was recognize who can help. Um, now, Nehemiah knew he needed some help. He needed the king's help in order to have leave to go and help. He needed Asaph's help in getting the necessary materials in chapter 2. He needed the help of the captains of the army and horsemen to escort him back to the capital city of Judah. He then needed the Jews to actually help do the work of rebuilding. But before he thought about any human help, he recognized who, who it was that he needed most. And that was the Lord. Um, verse 4, it says, I prayed before not the king, not the, uh, the guys who were going to help him build this thing. No, no, he prayed before the God of heaven. And uh, you and I, you know, when we have difficulties and trials and tribulations in our life, it's not to say that we don't need others to help us along the way. Uh, doctors, lawyers, um, plumbers, uh, whoever uh, you need to help with the situation you're in, that's fine. But recognize first who can help the most and who we need the most, and that's the Lord. Uh, so we spent some time talking about that. I don't want to go re hash all that. But number three, uh, as we get into our prayer time, first of all, we see that Nehemiah regarded God's character. Verse number five, as he prays, verse number five, he said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. And we saw this in the uh, model prayer of Matthew chapter six, uh, just like Jesus taught us. 
to take some time, the first few moments in his prayer time, regarding the character of God. He doesn't go immediately into his wish list like he's a big genie in the sky. No, he goes and there's a time of adoration and praise before the Lord. So he took that time to regard God's character. Then number four, we see there was a repentance of sin. And as we go into our prayer time, that's a a great thing to do, to talk about how great God is and regard who he is. But then that should then reveal who we are. (laughs) I'm like, whoa, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And uh, that took place in uh, Isaiah's life when he uh, was placed into the throne room of God. He got to see God for who he was, high and lifted up. And uh, very soon after hearing the fact that God is holy, 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 uh, Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am not holy. And uh, here in verses uh, 6 and 7, we see Nehemiah confessing and repenting of his sin, and not just his, but his whole nation as well. Let thine ear now be attentive, thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Too many times we like to uh, blame shift when it comes, and this Blame shifting has been going on since the Garden of Eden, hasn't it? Um, you know, when, when God says to Adam, okay, hey, why did you sin? And he's like, well, it was, it was my wife. And then, and then not only did he blame his wife, but he blamed God, whom thou gavest me. And then so he goes to her, and she uh, pins it on the, the serpent, and uh, on it goes, Uh, But here, Nehemiah wasn't going to do any blame shifting. He wasn't saying, well, hey, I wasn't there, so I'm kind of off the hook here. No, no. He said, uh, Lord, I am guilty as well. Both I and my father's house have sinned. So when it comes to repenting of sin, what does that mean? It means you admit and agree with God that it is sin. Um, A lot of times we like to justify our sin and say, well, it wasn't that bad, and If we're going to really truly repent of our sin, we need to agree with God that it is sin, admit that we have sinned, but then not only that, we need to then abandon that sin, uh, step away from it, not just keep doing it over and over and over again, abandon it according to Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth, that's admitting and agreeing, and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's the abandoning part. See, um, so repenting of sin, and then uh, number five, and this is kind of, we, we finished this, and this is where we stopped last time, remember God's word, uh, verse number eight and nine, uh, here, Nehemiah is saying in his prayer, remember Lord, now we mentioned last time that God doesn't need reminders, okay, he doesn't need a, a reminder app on his smartphone, okay, he doesn't need someone to remember to remind him of his word. He, he knows his word. Uh, we're the ones that need to be reminded, and it's good for us to be reminded as we pray uh, of God's word. And so we talked about that last time. Now, the rest of this is all new material, and we're going to try to finish this the next 15, 20 minutes. Let's see what happens. Number six, uh, recall God's works. Recall God's works, and this is found in verse number 10. 
He said, now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. As Nehemiah is praying, he's recalling what God did in the life of Israel. In the nation's history, what God did to, uh, the Bible says, redeem them by his great power and by thy strong hand. He remembered the works of God. Now recall how, as we pray, it's good for us to take time to thank God for what he did in our lives. Recall how he worked in the past in your life. Uh, Perhaps there was a situation that you were in that was very daunting and big, and God brought you through that. Remember that, and take time to thank God for it and to think of it. Uh, Recall his power displayed in changing your life at salvation. Uh, It'd be good for you to remember what kind of a person you were before you became a Christian. And what kind of person you would be right now if you didn't get saved. Now, I don't really want to dwell on that too much because that's a scary thought for me at least. But I would probably assume for you as well. Um, the change that God has made in our life, uh, think about that and recall what God did for us. Um, I remember when I was uh, in a junior in high school, my, uh, my best friend, he was a history buff. He really liked, like for, for fun as a junior in high school, he would read history books. I was not into that. Okay, good on you, bud. I'm not into history. Now, when we got into um, the school year started, and um, he he said, Eric, I really think he he had enrolled in AP U.S. history, and uh, I enrolled in regular junior history. Okay, and because uh, that was kind of more my level, and he was more AP. He said, Eric, I'm going to help you through this. You can get through this AP U.S. history. It's easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. They didn't use that. That was kind of a newer phrase, but uh, they didn't use that back then. But he said, I'll help you through this. And uh, I struggled big time through that whole class. And I've shared with you how I took that AP test. And I told my teacher, Mr. Shepard, he, he said he kept bragging about how none of his students have ever, ever gotten a one on this AP, US, AP test. Now, it was one through five. Five was like an A. Uh, four is like a B, three is like a C plus. It's passing, you get credit mostly uh, for, for college. Uh, two is like, nice try, thanks for showing up. One is like, you can't even spell your name right. Okay, so uh, he, said, uh, he said, no one in my class has ever gotten a one, and I'm exaggerating a little bit on the one, but I mean, it's, it's, you bombed it. And uh, I was honestly nervous that I was gonna get a one on that test. And that I was going to be the first one, one, the first one to get a one. And so I said, hey, Mr. Shepard, what, how would you feel if, if one of your students got an, actually got a one on that test? He's like, Eric, you're not going to get a one on that test. You're not going to get a one on that test. I promise. You are too smart for that. Okay, I'm glad you think so, because I sure don't. Took the test, finally got our grades back. Um, my, 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 my friend Nate, he the one who said he was going to help me through this uh, kind of didn't uh, because 
he called me and he's like, hey, I got my grade. What'd you get? And I'm like, no, no, you first. And he's like, I got a four. Man, I almost got a five. That, I was so close to getting a five. Oh. He's like, what'd you get? And I'm like, shut up. You don't, you were, the phone call's over. And I said, I got a two. Uh, but I didn't get a one. So, hey, <laughs> I spelled my name right. Okay, I say all that to say I'm not the biggest history guy. Um, and uh, I, I, I definitely appreciate history a lot more now that I'm out of high school and, and now that I'm a pastor. And uh, I definitely uh, enjoy history a lot more than I did back in the day. And we've all heard the, uh, that those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it, right? But when it comes to remembering the history of the works of God in our life, if we forget, we are doomed to go off course in our Christian life. It's, it's, it's every bit as important as understanding you know, who the 13th president of the United States is or was. Um, the, those facts and figures are important to know, absolutely, but remembering what God did in our life is extremely important. If you would uh, turn to uh, Psalm 78, Psalm 78. I want to show you uh, kind of what I'm talking about here. Psalm 78, verse number 1. Uh, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. So this is the history lessons that they were hearing. Okay, verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. So these people said, hey, we're going to be history teachers to our children. Um, you know, we're not going to necessarily, the, the facts and figures are important, but we're going to really teach our kids what God did in the past, his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony, verse 5, in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. So we want just a bunch of history teachers uh, kind of coming up, generation by generation. That verse 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. And they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. And look at verse number 11. And forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. They, they forgot. They failed to know what God did and rehearse them in their hearts and to keep them and, and to keep recalling uh, what God did in their life. Let's look at a couple more verses here. Verse 12. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea, caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as in heap. That's the crossing of the Red Sea miracle. Um, in verse number 17, after all that, 
they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. They, they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. I mean, after all that God did, they forgot what God did. Verse number 42. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. I mean, the day, if you read, I think it's in Exodus 14. I'm pretty sure. Let me just turn over there. Okay, Exodus 15. Exodus 15. After they cross that Red Sea, I mean, Moses has this song of deliverance, and it's just this moment of victory and a moment of appreciation for what God did in their lives. And it was, I mean, who could forget that day? Well, there were people who forgot that day. And uh, do you remember when you got saved? And boy, who could forget the change and, and just that feeling that, hey, my sin is forgiven and uh, it is well with my soul, knowing that he has paid the price for my sin and it's not on me anymore. It, it, he took it all on him. And, and uh, now I have forgiveness of sin and I have a home in heaven. Boy, this is wonderful. But then as time goes on, we, I've talked to some people and uh, they cannot, who, who say, yeah, I, I think I became a Christian. They forget the day that they became a Christian. I'm not saying you have to have the, the date down in your heart. But can you remember the day that you were saved? Nehemiah, back in Nehemiah chapter 1, if you want to flip back over there. Let's read this verse again, verse 10. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. Nehemiah is recalling what God did in their nation. He's recalling God's works in their, in their nation's history. It's good for us as we pray to recall what God did for you and for me. In salvation, yes, but then as the other blessings come throughout our Christian life, to remember those as well. Um, I'm not a big journal guy. I've, I've been encouraged to be a big journal guy. Um, if you're a journaling person, I would encourage you to do that. And it would help you because as you go back and see what God did and how he delivered you from certain situations, uh, it'll strengthen your faith as you go forward. Romans 121, I won't take the time to turn there or read it, but... Um, Romans 1, if, if you know much about Romans chapter 1, it's a, the last part of the chapter is a litany of sin and uh, the downward spiral that people take um, and that the Lord allows people to take because that's the direction they want to go. It all starts in chapter or verse number 21 with, neither were they thankful. And uh, it's because they forgot the blessings of God in their life. Um, there's another passage I want to turn to, but for sake of time, I probably need to move on. But I'll just give it to you, and you can look it up later. How about that? Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. One of the verses in there says, Forget not all of his benefits. So I know we all need to have things that we remember in our life, but one of the things that we need to remember for sure is God's works that he has done in our life. So, I recall God's work. Number seven. Number seven. 
This is request God's help. This is the asking part of prayer. And finally we get there. But Nehemiah starts his prayer in verse 5. And he doesn't really get into real requesting until we get to verse number 11. He says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servants and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. Here's his prayer. I, and prosper us, I pray thee, thy servant this day, prosper me, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And he's referring to uh, the king that he works for. So it, notice, notice again that it didn't start, his prayer didn't start with asking. I'm not saying that sometimes it's okay to do. I, I think of Peter's prayer as he was uh, standing on the water and doing what only two people have ever done in all of history, walking on water. And the Bible says he, he began to sink, right? And uh, he had, uh, I think, a three-word prayer, Lord, save me. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't go on and on about how, you know, he didn't have time for that. He was about to drown. So I, I understand that sometimes we need to get right into the asking, but, um, but here, Nehemiah, and, and just like the model prayer that Jesus taught us, it's not about going right in for the, uh, the asking part. But, uh, uh, but eventually, we are instructed to ask. Matthew 7 and verse 7 says, Ask, Jesus said, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, Receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh, it shall be opened. So at some point in our prayer, it's good and healthy for us to go ahead and ask. James 1, verse 5 If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, shall be given him. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. James 4, 2 says, Yet ye have not, because ye ask not. So part of prayer is definitely, indeed, asking. Um, but the picture and the pattern here is that that's not the first thing we do. First um, John 5 and verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know if that he hear us, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So there does need to be uh, some asking, some requesting. But then number eight, and we'll end with this one tonight, resolve to work. Resolve to work. Say, what, what does this have to do with prayer? Like, I, I thought, you know, God's going to like, poof, it's going to happen. Like, amen, and then you open your eyes, and all of a sudden, the walls are just done. The gates are fixed. The people are no more in a reproach. Like, hey, God, you're supposed to, like, you know, I prayed. Where's the miracle? Well, see, that Nehemiah understood that uh, prayer is important and necessary, and I do not think for a minute that this wall would have ever been completed had Nehemiah chapter 1 not happened. If Nehemiah would have just said, 
Uh, we got this. I know exactly what to do. Uh, we're going to go and find the material. I'm going to go talk to the king, and uh, he's going to help us. And I don't think anything like that would have ever happened. I think all of his efforts would have been duds. But because he was willing to pray first, uh, God mightily blessed the work that went on afterwards. And here's the encouragement for us. Put feet to your prayers. Pray as if everything, and you maybe have heard of this if you've been saved for any length of time, pray as if everything depended upon God. Then and only then, work as if everything depended upon you. Dr. Curtis Hudson said, there is more that you can do after you pray, but there is nothing you can do until you pray. I read this story, an old deacon was leading in prayer using one of his stereotypical phrases. And he said in his prayer, O oh Lord, touch the unsaved with thy finger. As he uh, continued this phrase in this particular prayer, he stopped short. And uh, he was silent, and other members came to his side and asked if he was ill. No, he replied, but something seemed to say to me, Thou art the finger. When he said, O Lord, touch the unsaved with thy finger, he realized that I better put feet to my prayers. I better be willing to do the work. And so Nehemiah prayed, and, and uh, when he got up from his prayer, it was time to go to work. It was time to uh, put his, uh, ac- his trust in God to work in action, and, and, and God did indeed bless that work. But as you do work for God, and um, just a couple things I want to point out about that, and that is this, understand that there will be opposition to the work of God. Uh, In Nehemiah chapter 2, he gets leave and blessing from King Artaxerxes, and uh, he gives him the resources. I mean, it's just kind of a miracle. Artaxerxes didn't, he wasn't a saved man. He didn't need, he didn't need to like help out this Jew, but he did uh, because God uh, was blessing and because he had spent that time in prayer, I believe. But then if you go to chapter 2, verse number 10, we find uh, we meet these two um, special blessings. I guess there's a big air quotes around that, okay? Verse number 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, heard of what the plan was, what were they were trying to do, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. They were not fans of what was about to happen. And so they fought tooth and nail all the way through the end of this project to get them to stop. They tried all kinds of things. Verse 19, here's one of the things they did. When Sambalad and Tobiah, uh, the Ammonite and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn, despised us and said, What is this thing, thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? So they began to talk about them negatively. And then uh, once they start building in chapter number 4, uh, verse number 1, it came to pass when Sambalat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth, took great indignation, and mocked the Jews. He spake before his brethren, and, and on it goes. I'm not going to take the time tonight to go through every little thing that they did, but they were 
constant pests to the situation. Uh, they did not help one bit. They were just trying to destroy and stop the work of God from going forward. So as you resolve the work, no, it's probably not going to be an easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy situation. Um, Satan's not going to like anything we're trying to do uh, for the Lord. And he'll fight it. But uh, let's look in uh, chapter 6. And uh, we'll end with this here. Verse number 15. Pretty amazing. There's so many more things I wanted to say, but uh, I did promise to try to finish this. And I'm doing it. Verse number 15. So the wall was finished. In the 25th day of the month, Elu, in 50 and 2 days. So less than 2 months this wall was finished. What a blessing. Um, and uh, I know that Nehemiah never thought for a second that it was just his grand plan that caused it to happen that quick. I, I know that it wasn't his. He wasn't like, I'm just such a great leader. That's why. No, because look at what verse 16 says. came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were... Much they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. So even the enemies, even Sambal and Tobiah, knew that God, there was no stopping God's work. There was no stopping what the Lord was going to do, and Nehemiah knew that it was the Lord who wrought the work. Yes, they needed to resolve to work themselves, but ultimately they were trusting God to do it. And uh, it all began with chapter 1, with his prayer time. Uh, I think you can, you can easily trace it all the way back to that. Um, God blessed every step of the way. Didn't mean there wasn't op opposition, but uh, God saw the work through. And as we pray and, um, you know, sometimes we say, Lord, please save my family member. Lord, please save my coworkers. We get up and we go to work and we're expecting them to come to us going, I just got saved. Maybe God wants to use you to witness to them. Maybe God wants to use your words and your life to be a testimony to them. Lord, I want our church to be effective as we reach out into our community. I hope that's your prayer. Once again, it's a good prayer to have, but number eight, let's not forget to resolve to work as well. Yeah, praying is if everything depended upon God, but then after that prayer, then we resolve to work and say, okay, God, I realize that you may use me to be your finger to touch the souls of the people here in our community. Um, Lord, we want revival, and we get up and thinking, I'm going to turn on the news tonight and there's going to be revival because I prayed. I, I, I wish that was the case, but that's not how it usually works. Usually it's me making sure that I'm resolving to work to get myself right with God and that I'm doing what I can to reach people in my sphere of influence. Um, and eventually God will bless. Will there be opposition? You better believe it. There's going to be a Tobiah. There's going to be a Sam Ballot along the way. But uh, we need to resolve to work. All right.